Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm uh, one of the pastors, and we are, as Tony said, starting this new series uh, that we are calling Jesus Walked Into a Bar, and uh, just watch this. Did you see that thing on the news? I don't get it. Don't they realize all those religions are basically the same? Well, that's not true. Believe me, I know. So are all religions the same? I don't know. We're going to talk about that this morning. By the way, we are going to be in John chapter 14. So if you brought your Bible with and you want to follow along there, uh, you could get that ready to go. But right now, would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? Lord, uh, I pray that the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we all think is together, we meditate on your word for us. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who did indeed come into this world to reveal your truth and your life. Amen. So uh, the Oxford Dictionary does this thing every year where they kind of announce what the word of the year was for the previous year. You know, normally it's a new word that made its way into the dictionary, but, uh, but also kind of something that was current and relevant. Now last year, 2016, the word of the year for the Oxford Dictionary was this, post-truth. And they defined it this way, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, the facts aren't so important in our world these days. What's really more important is appealing to your emotions or your own personal beliefs. And if someone could do that, that's more important than someone telling you the truth. Now, we probably saw that at work pretty much during the, the political campaigns, didn't we, right? And in fact, they go on in the paragraph that defines a little bit more to say this. The truth has become so devalued that what was once the gold standard of political debate is a worthless currency. In other words, politicians don't even have to worry about telling the truth anymore uh, because the truth doesn't really matter to you all that much, okay? What does matter to you is them appealing to your emotion or to your personal beliefs that you bring to the table at the beginning. And if they can do that, it really doesn't matter whether they're telling the truth anymore. That's, uh, that's what post-truth is all about. Now, in some ways, we shouldn't be too surprised about that because that's been happening in religious circles for centuries. How many of you have heard this example or seen this example used? It's uh, commonly in Eastern philosophy, and it's, uh, it's become more popular since then. It's this idea that you know a bunch of blind men all encounter an elephant, and because each one is touching something different on the elephant, they all believe the elephant is something different. There's actually a poem written a number of years ago by a philosopher uh, by the name of Sachs. And uh, John Sachs wrote this poem. I want to read you at least some of the poem, okay? So here's how it goes. It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is nothing but a wall. The second, feeling of the tusk, cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear, this wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. 
So you kind of get how this poem is going. And, uh, and he goes on, verses 4, 5, and 6, each talking about other members, of, other these blind men from Indostan, one encountering a rope, one thinking it's a snake, one thinking it's a tree, etc. And then this is how Sachs um, ends his poem. I want you to listen to this. He says, And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. So often theologic wars, the disputants, I ween, tread on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about the elephant not one of them has seen. Now this was Sack's commentary on religions, on world religions. And what he was trying to say is, that all world religions are striving after something that they can't see. They can only see a little glimpse of a greater truth. And, uh, and as a result, all the world religions, he says, are wrong in one way because none of them see the whole truth, but all of them are right from their perspective. And so he was trying to criticize um, world religions when they fight and argue over what is truth. I mean, we can understand that, and there's... There, there seems to be something very attractive to that way of thinking, right? That, that all the world religions are really equally valid. Uh, this is an actual uh, little card in uh, one hotel. That You go to that hotel, instead of a Bible in the desk, there's a list of all the different holy books that you can get. All you got to do is call down to the office and they'll bring you one, okay? And, uh, and that's definitely the way the world is going these days. It, it, it says things like, you know, the world religions are all really the same. They're all after the same thing. They all have their own little piece of the truth. And so there's nothing any more valid than one of those world religions than the other. Now, we have a word for this. Then the word for this is relativism. Relativism teaches, it's this doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical content and are not absolute. So we all can have our own version of the truth, and that's okay. But there's one problem with that analogy, with Sax's poem, with that, that, that way of looking at the blind men and the elephant. And the problem with that is, there is an elephant, right? I mean, there actually is this thing called objective truth. We may not be able to see it, we may only have a little piece of it, but it does exist, it is out there. One philosopher, who's not a Christian, by the way, in critiquing this analysis, said it this way. He said, what this poem says is, although we might not have all, experienced all of this truth yet, it is out there. And in fact, he says on his website that there's this longing that he has to try to figure out what that big truth is, to try to see the whole elephant, to try to understand this noble truth that is out there. And, and so his point is, world religions should stop fighting with each other and try to figure out what that truth is. Now, by the way, one other ancient telling of this story says this. At the very end, the king shows up, and the king isn't blind. And so the king tells these men of Indostan, well, yeah, you're all wrong because you all only see a piece of it. Let me tell you about the elephant because I can see the whole thing. What we as Christians believe is the king has showed up. That Jesus is that king. That Jesus is the one that does see the whole elephant. That, that does know the whole truth. And in fact, that's the claim that Jesus made. He said that he was the way, that he was the truth, and that he was the life. 
Now again, he said this in John chapter 14, and I want to give you a little bit of context here. It's near the end of Jesus' life, his earthly life. His, he's about to be arrested and crucified. And it's in his last time when he's with his disciples, these, these men that have been with him for three years now, getting to know him and learning from him and, and, and finding out truth from his perspective. And, uh, and, and so Jesus, knowing that, that they're going to go through a difficult time as he's going to be arrested and crucified and as he's going to lay in a grave for three days, and, and even beyond that, after he rises from the dead and ascends into heaven, he knows that things are going to change for them. And so as he's talking to them, he looks at him, he goes, hey guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, he says, in, in what's about to be happening, the stuff that's going to be happening in your life, I don't want you to be worried. I don't want you to be concerned. I don't want you to be troubled. And then he says this, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And by the way, the believe word here is a relationship word. It's not an understanding of facts kind of word. He says, put your trust in me. Put your trust in my heavenly Father. Put your trust in God. And then Jesus says these words that you've probably heard before. We use them at funerals a lot. He said, in my Father's house are many rooms. The picture here is, uh, if you go over to Israel today and, you, and they dig down, they, they see some of how people lived in Jesus' day. And it was very common in a family that what you do is the family got bigger, you just added more rooms. And so, you know, the son-in-law and daughter-in-law would move in and they'd add some rooms onto the house and you'd end up with this big complex where the whole family lived. That's kind of the picture here. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I want you to just kind of let your mind dwell on that a little bit this morning. Think about what it means that Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus who is the Son of God, Jesus who was there at that moment of creation of the universe, Jesus' goal is to come and take you so that you could be with him forever. His deepest desire is to simply spend eternity with you. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that amazing? So that's why he tells his disciples, don't worry. I, I, he says, I know I'm going away for a little bit, but, but we're going to get to spend eternity together. And, uh, and, and then Jesus said this. He said, you know the way to where I'm going. And, and Thomas comes right back and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Now, uh, Thomas is speaking for the other disciples here. They all were a little bit puzzled by the stuff that Jesus was saying. And by the way, we fall into this trap sometimes too. Thomas knew more than he thought he did. And we do too. Sometimes when we talk about sharing our faith with other people, isn't it true that we're a little worried that maybe they're going to ask us a question that we don't know the answer to? Or I hear that all the time for Christians. They say, well, I'm afraid to tell others about Jesus because I don't know enough. You know more than you think you do, Okay. And Thomas was the same thing. So Jesus looks at Thomas. He looks at the other disciples and, and, and he says, well, you know, what you, you know the way. I'm the way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And by the way, isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say, um, I, I know about the way. Or um, I can tell you about the truth. Or uh, I know where you need to go for life. Jesus literally claims that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. In other words, it's not just that Jesus can tell you about the whole elephant, the whole truth. He's saying, I am that 
truth. In fact, he goes on to say this. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus says, literally, because you've seen me, because you've come to know me, he tells his disciples, you know my Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, I look a lot like him. <laughs> in fact, Jesus is saying, I am him. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And if you want to know that truth out there, you don't have to, 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 to grope around in the dark and in your blindness and try to figure out more for yourself. He says, all you have to do is turn to me. All you have to do is listen to me. I've got that truth. So folks, here's the danger with this blind man and the elephant analogy. The danger is that we as Christians would see ourselves as just another blind man with only a piece of the truth. But that's not what Jesus claims. Jesus claims that Christianity is not one of a group of world religions groping around in their dark with only a little piece of the truth. Jesus makes the claim that those who follow him have the whole truth. We see the whole picture, even though others might be blind. Folks, and that's what we believe, teach, and confess here at Trinity. We believe that Jesus was indeed the Son of God who came into this world and was born as a baby at Bethlehem. We teach and we believe that that birth of Jesus at Bethlehem fulfilled literally hundreds of Old Testament prophecies in a way that, that wouldn't have been possible if Jesus wasn't really exactly what the Bible claims he was, that Son of God who had came into the world. We believe that Jesus did die a death on a cross, that that was a real historical event that happened almost 2,000 years ago. And we believe in that moment, in that death on the cross, Jesus accomplished what he said he came to accomplish, and that was that you and I might have life and have that life abundantly. We believe that on the cross, Jesus paid the price for your sins and for mine. That, that he did that to reconcile us to our God, just as he claimed he had come to do. And we believe that three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. That that is a real historic fact. And here's why that's such an important fact. Because it makes all those things Jesus claimed truth. I mean, it's one thing for Jesus to say, I am the truth. But then if he doesn't rise from the dead, can we trust him? Paul said it this way. He said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, uh, then we're fools. Jesus was a fool, and we are fools to have listened to him. But Jesus did rise from the dead, Paul says. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We believe, teach, and confess here as a family of believers that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. And that means that we have the truth. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, Mark. Didn't we just do this series about how important it was to, uh, to be tolerant of other people? Didn't we just do a series that talked about how it's important that we are open and welcoming to, to all people and that, that we don't look down on people of other religions or of, of other uh, ethnic groups, that, that, that we're, we're, we're welcoming and we treat them as equals and that we're, we're inclusive. And all that's true. But folks, there's a difference between being open and accepting and 
and yet being willing to accept others' truth as truth. See, the problem we have as Christians is not that we claim to have the truth. The problem we have as Christians is how we claim to have the truth, right? I mean, if we as Christians stand up and go, well, you guys are all idiots because you're blind and you only see a part of the elephant, but we see the whole elephant, so nah, 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 right? That's the problem. There is a way to share the truth that God's word reveals in a way that is loving and caring. Let, let me give you maybe an example to think about. Imagine that you're a doctor, and, uh, and, and as you were uh, working with a patient um, and doing some tests, you look at their test results and you realize, this guy's got cancer. And you know that's going to be a difficult truth for that person to hear. So, so as you share that truth with them, you, you, you share it carefully and lovingly, but you share that truth. And let's imagine that patient doesn't believe you. They say, no, no, that, that can't be true. I feel great. There's no way I can have cancer. And, and they go to another doctor and they get a second and a third and a fourth opinion until they finally get a doctor that looks at them and says, yeah, you're right, you don't have cancer. Now, are you as a doctor at that point going to go, oh, well, that's, that's valid truth too. They all have their own version of truth. I hope not. I hope what you would do at that point is, first of all, you'd go back to those test results and you would study them backwards and forward to make sure you were right, to make sure you understood the truth. But then I hope you would do all you could to make sure that that person understood that truth because their life depends on it. Folks, that's what we have to be as Christians all about. We have to, we have, first of all, we better study God's word. We better study it backwards and forwards so we are sure that we know and understand what God's truth is. But when we understand that truth, we have a responsibility to do all we can to share it with those that may not believe it that may not understand it. Why? Because Jesus also said this. He said, as my followers, you will know the truth and, and that truth is going to set you free. We've all experienced that. By the way, if you ever find yourself sharing God's truth with someone and it's not setting them free, instead it's binding them and constricting them and, and backing them into a corner, that, that's not God's truth. The truth of Jesus, when we share it, never puts a burden on people. It never backs them into a corner. Instead, what it does is it sets them free. It sets them free from false truths that might have been binding them and keeping them in, in, in prison. It sets them free from guilt and from shame and from pain and suffering. And, and again, if God's truth ever heightens people's guilt instead of setting them free, then it isn't really the gospel. That's really not God's truth. The truth that we share, the truth that we have from Jesus is truth that sets us free indeed. So over these next few weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a closer look at those other world religions. You see, out in the world today, this is what people teach. This is the kind of prevailing truth in our world, that, that all religions are fundamentally the same. They just are superficially different. You know, they would say all, all, all the religions may look a little different on the outside. They may have a little bit of different customs and things. But when you drill down, when you look at what they teach, they're all about love. They're all about being kind to one another. All the world religions fundamentally are basically the same. In other words, the world would say world religions are basically like M&Ms, okay? 
They may look a little different on the outside, but you open them up, they're, they're the same on the inside, okay? But God's Word teaches something different. God's Word teaches that, in fact, it's the exact opposite, that all religions may be superficially the same, but when you dig down deep enough, what you will find out is that they are fundamentally different in what they believe and teach about God and about truth and about the world. So I would say the world religions are more like golf balls, okay? You knew I had to get golf in there somehow, right? Okay. No, seriously. I, instead of like M&Ms, they look different on the outside, but they're the same on the inside. It's actually the opposite. Do you know that if you cut into a golf ball, go, golf balls look, may look the same on the outside, but they are radically different on the inside, depending on who made them, okay? Very, very different. See, now you learned something this morning, right? But, uh, but, but the fact is, that's what we believe. We believe, based on God's word, that, that all wor the world religions may look a lot the same, but when you really get down to what they fundamentally teach, they are radically different. So over the next four weeks, we are going to be talking about four world religions. Next week, we are going to take a look at what the Hindu religion teaches. And we are going to look at the fundamental truth that is at the heart of Hinduism. And we're going to ask ourselves, how does that fundamental truth stand up about Jesus' fundamental truth, what the Bible teaches? And then the week after that, we're going to look at Buddhism, and we're going to ask the same question. What's that fundamental truth at the heart of Buddhism? And, uh, and what is Christianity, what does Jesus have to say about that truth? Can you uh, put me back up there? Oh, that's okay. Um, and then the week after that, um, we are going to take a look at Islam. We're going to take a look at the, at the, the Muslim faith. And, uh, and we're going to try to figure out what it is about Islam uh, that is that fundamental truth that uh, is is different than what Jesus, I, now I don't have control of it. There you go, all right, thanks, all right. Um, and, and then finally, the, the fourth week, we're gonna look at Judaism. You're gonna need to keep advancing it for me, thanks, okay? We're gonna look at Judaism and say, what, what's at that fundamental truth at the heart of Judaism and, and, uh, and, and what difference does that make? But here's the danger in all of that. The, the danger in all that is that we would see those people as out there somewhere far away instead of as our next-door neighbors, as people that we work with and that we even maybe live with in our homes. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that that truth will set people free, and that's what we want to do. That's the goal of this series, so that, that we would understand truth from Jesus' perspective. That, that we would understand how other people see that truth, and we would be able to do what Jesus would do, and that is to sit down and, and just have that conversation with someone to help them see how Jesus' truth can set them free. Now, we call this series, uh, Jesus Walks Into a Bar, and uh, you may say, well, why did we call it that? Well, first of all, because we want to get your attention, right? It's kind of a clever title, I hope. Um, but, but the image here is, don't you think that sometimes the deepest conversations happen over a beer in a bar somewhere? I think they do. And, uh, and so that's kind of the image we want. We want to stop and think, what would Jesus say if he could sit down and have a deep one-on-one -on -one conversation with, with, with a Muslim or a Hindu or with a Buddhist or with a Jew? What would Jesus have to say to them? And, and what can we learn from that so that when we have opportunities to share God's truth with people, we can do it in a way that will set them free? Let's pray about that together. Um, 
Father God, we come before you this morning, and, and Lord, we are so thankful that you sent your son Jesus into this world so that we might have the truth, so that truth might be revealed to us through him. And, uh, and Lord, we know that that truth is all about your love and your unconditional grace, the forgiveness of our sins, and the, and the hope of a life lived forever with the God that cares deeply about each and every one of us. And Lord, we want to share that truth in a way that it can set others free. So Lord, I pray that you'd bless these next weeks as we study and learn together, as we roll up our sleeves and we really make sure we understand what your word says, and as we come to learn what others believe about the world and about God and about you and about, about how life works. Lord, help us to be people of truth and people of love. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about our relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T, L, C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.